you will often hear that I quote a man with the name of Karl Barth. Karl Barth was probably the, one of the, the biggest, greatest theologians of the 20th century. He was Swiss, and he was involved in the struggle also against um, the church that sided with the Nazis uh, during the Second World War, and he was one of the people involved with the Barmen Declaration, which you can read on the internet if you want to. Karl Barth was an evangelical theologian. He wrote very complicated uh, theology, but he was a person whose heart belonged to Christ. On the 3rd of June, 1935, he delivered a speech uh, in Bern in Germany about the topic, the gospel today. And this is what he said. We find a purebred heathenism in the so-called Christian Europe. People have denied the power of the gospel because they do not know it anymore. That was 83 years ago. We know that this is true. I read an article just uh, a few weeks ago by Clifford Hill. Uh, it's... Um, uh, a website on prophecy, and although you don't have to agree with everything there, he wrote this article called A Tale of Two Movements. And he says that many people under the age of 50 do not have a good knowledge of the Bible. They actually have virtually no knowledge of the God of creation and the ultimate standards of truth in the United Kingdom. He says two big movements took hold of our society with massive effects for the ordinary Christian trying to follow Jesus. The one is secular humanism, seeking to set the society free from the restrictions of religion. And the second is the destruction of traditional family life based upon the covenant of marriage. Both of these movements, he says, have a spiritual basis, but it comes from the powers of darkness. So what happened in our society? One of the favorite movies that I've uh, watched in my life, and, and many young people wouldn't know this, but you can go, go and watch it, is Fiddler on the Roof. And I've used this before to illustrate something. Two people, or three people, were standing on the market square in this movie, and 
arguing with one another. And the one said, this is what I believe. And Tevye said, you know you are right. And then a second one said the opposite. And Tevye said again, you know you are also right. And then a third one said, well, both cannot be right. You're either right or wrong. And then Tevye said, you know, you are also right. This is what happened in our society. Everybody can be right. And it opened the door for a major assault upon the truth. We live, some people say, in a postmodern society. In his book, Intellectuals Don't Need God and Other Modern Myths, Alistair McGrath writes that two ideas are typical of the time in which we live. The first is relativism. It means, basically, that you shouldn't elevate your beliefs to the only truth there is. Everything is relative. Something can be true for me, but it wouldn't necessarily be true for someone else. So truth is relative. That's relativism. On the other hand, pluralism, he says. He says there are many other truths, more than one truth. We must make room in our thoughts for other truths. And therefore, in our society, the buzzword is tolerance. But who is right? Who is wrong? What is right and what is wrong? What is the truth? What effect does this have on our Christian life? This situation. The, the first is the question if Jesus is the only Savior. Many people would say all roads lead to Rome. I had a discussion once in our congregation with someone about this very issue and it came up whether we can worship together with those who do not hold fast to Jesus as only Savior. And the person's answer was basically this, all roads lead to Rome. In terms of the society in which we live, many people would say, you may believe that Jesus is the only Savior, but that's only true for you. It doesn't mean that it's true for everybody. It doesn't mean that other people should believe as you do. Your conviction is just one amongst many others, and you should make room for that. It's beautifully expressed by Panikar when he said, the good, upright Hindu is saved by Christ and not by Hinduism, 
But it happens through the sacraments of Hinduism, through the message of morality and a good life. The message is clear. Believe what you want. Follow your road. Eventually, it will lead to Jesus. But is this what Jesus taught about himself? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And after the ascension of Jesus and Pentecost, Peter said, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Is Jesus the only Savior? Do we need something more, something else? Paul also lived in a time when the uniqueness of the salvation in Christ was undermined. What these people said is, Jesus is okay, that's fine, you can believe in him, but you need something else. You need something else. You need something more to do. He refers to them, those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. They said, you can believe in Jesus, that's fine, but that's not enough. You need to be circumcised as well. And by doing that, they undermined the uniqueness of Christ. Paul said the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. They didn't want to commit to Christ alone because it was dangerous for them in society. See, the deepest denial of the truth of the gospel is to say Jesus is not enough or Jesus is not the only way. That's more or less the same thing. It is to say there are other ways to salvation. Paul is very radical in Galatians about this. In chapter 5, verse 2, he says, Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, doing something extra, Christ will be of no value to you at all. You are trying to be justified by law by doing something, working yourself into heaven, have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. These are serious words. And at the end of the letter, he says, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Normally, in those times, people had a scribe writing on their behalf. And now Paul apparently writes with his own hand so that they knew that this came really from him. And he summarizes the heart of what he's trying to say 
in this letter. These large letters could also refer to what he wanted to emphasize, to underscore, to highlight, like we have these days in bold or underline when we type. Paul is saying, look at the importance of what I'm trying to communicate with you. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, both, we boast in Jesus Christ alone, not in ourselves. He says he boasts in Christ alone. And when he says that, he uses a word that's very difficult to translate. It can mean to trust, to live for something, to have an obsession about something. May I never trust or live for anything else but the cross of Jesus Christ. May nothing else be an obsession in my life except the cross of Christ. Because the cross of Jesus Christ is unique and it's a radical judgment over all attempts to save ourselves. You see, human religion says, I give so that the gods can give. I act so that the gods can act. But the gospel is just the opposite. God has given His grace through Jesus Christ so that we can give ourselves. And in this letter, he highlights this all the time. He says in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, from this curse that we try to save ourselves, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Christ has given his life so that we can be saved from all attempts to save ourselves. So that we can look away from any other method of being saved. Whoever wants to save himself or herself boasts in himself or herself. And they're still under the curse of God. You see, the Christian religion, the Christian faith, is about a unique person and a unique relationship that we have with this person. We can never force people to love Jesus Christ, but we can tell them that he touched our lives and that we have no other obsession in our lives except to boast in him. John Stott wrote, the truth is that we cannot boast in ourselves and in the cross simultaneously. We have to choose. If we have humbled ourselves as hell-deserving sinners, we give up boasting of ourselves, fly to the cross for salvation, and spend the rest of our days glorying in the cross 
So this whole idea of everything is relative, and there are many more truths, made us ask this question, is Jesus the only Savior? And what Paul says, there is no other Savior. There is no one else. But there's also a second effect on our lives, and that is, how shall we live? I met Leslie Newbegin many, many years ago. He died when he was in his 90s, but he was a major um, theologian, British theologian, worked for, uh, in India for about 40 years and played a huge part in the unification of the churches there. And Leslie Newbegin wrote the following. One of the biggest problems in the British world is that being a Christian became part of our free time activities. If there is any time left for it. Is that how it is in your life? That was many years ago. You see, the so-called Christian Europe or Christian Britain is something that doesn't exist anymore. We have to accept that. We have reconsidered our relationship with Christianity and now feel that it is redundant. Business, technology, sport, politics became essential things. We are controlled by other powers. Sadhu Sundar Singh lived at the end of the 19th century, at the beginning of the 20th century. The Christian communities in the north of India, referred to him as the apostle with bleeding feet. He converted to Christianity and spent some time here as well. And this is what he wrote. It is of course true that people who live in India worship idols. But here in England, people worship themselves. And that is still worse. Idol worshippers still seek the truth. But people over here seek pleasure and comfort. You see, these things became our deepest security. The things that absorb our energy and our lives. Lord, I don't have time. I'm too busy getting rich. Busy with my sport. Busy, busy, busy. These things fill our horizons. It seizes our attention, absorbs our time and energy. Everything goes in our society these days. It's not too bad when people hate, when people get drunk, when people cause division, when people are selfish. When people do not commit to Christ, when people do not go to church, you can't force anybody to do these things. It's not too bad. 
We learn to live with this in our homes everywhere. But Paul says that the values of this world is clear. It's clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions. We can go on and on. And listen to what he says. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that no one living this sort of life will inherit the kingdom of God. That's how serious it is. What does Paul say in this situation? He says, but we have been liberated from this kind of life. He says, may I never boast in anything else except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What counts, he says in verse 15, is a new creation. I have been crucified to the world, and the world doesn't count anymore for me. The old life was nailed to the cross. He says it earlier in his letter as well. I have been put to death with Christ on the cross so that it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, he says in chapter 5, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. <coughs> John Stott said, we and the world have parted company. The world is a society of unbelievers. We don't care what the world says. We have our values, our principles according to which we live. And it's not man-made it is what is written here in Scripture. We have been liberated, he says, to a new lifestyle. People who have been crucified along with Christ now is under the authority of the Spirit of God. The fruit of the Spirit, he says, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, God has nothing to say. This is God's will for our lives. In another speech in 1935, Karl Barth said that we need to say yes to the gospel 
loudly and clearly. We don't care who listen to it or whether people will agree with it or help us. It has to be heard, he says. It means that we will have to leave specific positions where we got stuck and take up new positions. How? Now, Ruth, don't get a fright now. Maybe you know this girl. You know, on the right-hand side there, there she sits. I was looking for a nice picture. <laughs> Ruth wrote something in the Presbyterian Herald of the last month. I want to quote you something that she wrote. As Christians surrounded by a world which will contradict us at every turn, we need to know why we believe and what we believe. If we imagine representing Christianity in court, we must make a reasoned argument in confidence and humility. We must listen to the views of others without making assumptions about them as individuals, and most of all, we must approach everyone in love. I want to tell you a story from the Greek mythology. Homer introduces us to the sirens, a group of women with irresistible charm of their song, they lured the sailors closer and closer to the coastline. And then every time the ships went onto the rocks and was destroyed, Ulysses attempted to sail his ship past the sirens and he tried to prevent the problem by sticking something wax into their ears so that they wouldn't hear but it didn't work Orpheus on the other hand was a very skilled liar player and his method of dealing with this kind of threat was a bit different he played his lyre, and the music was so beautiful that the sailors didn't hear anything else. You see, there's a choir that sounds beautiful in our society. It attracts our attention, and it leads us away from the true and only God. But our ship is on its way to destruction. Maybe we should learn to provide music that is much more beautiful than the music of the world. I'm not talking about the music here. I'm talking about the music of our lives. Would our lives be a song 
that is so distinctive, so different, that people will be attracted by that. But we do that humbly, but boldly, confessing that Jesus is Lord. And by a life of love driven by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Peter says. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now listen, we need to have hope so that people can ask us, what is this hope that you have? Then we should speak about that because we revere Christ as Lord. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you, against your good behavior in Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. Let's pray together. Father, you know about the challenges we face every day in our families, amongst our friends, in our jobs. Help us to never turn our backs on Jesus. Help us to always remember that he is the only way, the only truth, the only life. But fill us by your Holy Spirit so that we will not reflect something of worldly values, but the values of Jesus Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit. And this we ask for the sake of Jesus Christ and so that your name will be glorified. Amen.